Building Men is brought to you by Finish the Race Apparel, ftrapparel.com, the creators of all things Building Men, and by Become Stronger Industries, become-stronger.com, the creators of handmade steel maces, hammers, and other badass equipment. And so when you present a kid with the opportunity to choose and you give them a supportive and structure and environment where they can be safe and they have the opportunity to make those decisions, mm-hmm. then you have a lot of growth. You're listening to the Building Men Podcast with Dennis and Anthony Miralda, brothers on a mission to help you become the strongest version of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Building Men Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Meralda. On the show today, I have the founder of Kong Academy. He spent time in childhood education, specifically in special education. And now this play-based organization that he has developed helps kids with physical fitness, with social-emotional skills, and he also does some work with parents. Please welcome to the podcast, Kurt Jordan. What is up, my man? How's it going? Hey, pretty good. How are you? Awesome, dude. Awesome. I... We connected through your partner, Elke. She went to an unblinded event in um, East Rutherford at the right next to Giant Stadium. I was there as a guest of some of the creators of the unblinded program. Really cool experience. And what I was, when I was talking to her in a small group, I, I mentioned what I'm doing with Building Men, and she said, you have to talk to Kurt. So we got on a Zoom, you and I, and we you know, chopped it up for a little bit. And I was fascinated with what you're doing because it, it's something that I wish I would have experienced when I was growing up, not only as a, as a kid, but even as a parent of young kids over the last 10 years, getting my kids into something like what you're doing. So I just wanted to uh, want to acknowledge what you're doing and, and give you an opportunity to, uh, to give us a little bit of an insight into the origin story of the Kong Academy. So let's start back in, in your experience in school. I'm always interested in how people get to where they are based on where they've been and, uh, and those stories as we're growing up. So you know, now what you're doing is helping kids develop this confidence, social, emotional skills through the art of play and parkour and things like that. What was your experience like in school? Were you always that kid that was like, fucking jumping around in the jungle gym and, you know, pretending that you were Tarzan and had a lightsaber in your hand all the time. Uh, I think you just hit the nail on the head when you just said Tarzan with a lightsaber in my hand. I think that's pretty <laughs> much still my dream. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no, my entire, my entire life when I, when I was going through school, I was the kid that was cli- like, I remember uh, getting uh, suspended in elementary school for climbing on top of the school. I would just use bike racks, flip them upside down, create ladders out of them, and then just get on top of the school and be like, oh, this is a whole nother playground up here. And it wasn't like, you know, I had all the balls up there that, you know, it was great, but teachers didn't appreciate that, right? Like, um, there's a lot of uh, um, more wild behavior that I was just curious. I wanted to explore. I wanted to play. I wanted to move. And so asking me to sit in a desk, I was like, I'm, I'm, this is, this is not, this is not going to work for me. And like, that was my, and that was pretty much my entire, um, you know, school career. And I know that a lot of parents have kids like that, that they just, they, they get in trouble because they want to move. They want to, they like, and the education system is not exactly designed for young boys to be successful, right? It is a sit down, quiet learning environment where you know that and which is which has been proven that that's not actually the best way for kids to to develop and learn um you know we have uh uh, most mammals learn through play most mammals learn through 
um, you know, developing those social connections and getting that experience on the playground. I'd, I'd say more learning happens on the playground than most days in a, in a school year than in the classroom, right? And it doesn't mean that they don't learn anything. It doesn't mean that they don't develop functional skills of reading and writing and very important life things, right? But, uh, but very few things are developed more than on the playground with social and emotional connections and very few skills have a bigger impact in your life than developing those social emotional skills because i know people who are very wealthy who are very unhappy and so so it really depends on where you even frame views of success in the first place but uh tangent i know uh but for me growing up um you know i was finding ways that i could uh not get in trouble but do something uh you know a little bit fun and and crazy um i like I, I would just, like, like I was saying, like I climb on top of the school, I would jump, climb up things and jump off of them. I was always climbing and moving and testing boundaries and trying to find out where I fit in. And growing up, I was really, uh, after, after school, after primary school, I kept trying to find, you know, where do I fit in? Where do I, uh, what's my, what's my real pursuit going to be, right? What's my real job going to be? Because that is a lot of, there's a lot of social demand and social pressure to create. And, and ultimately it comes from love because it's this stability that we want to create for our kids because we want to know that they're going to be okay. And part of parenting is, okay, but I got to make sure that you can provide an income for yourself. So if you have a kid that comes home and says, I'm going to do, you know, theater arts, right? And then it's like, you know, some parents are going to be really worried. They're like, yeah, but what's your real job going to be, right? Like, where are you going to, what are you going to, you know? And so, you know, there's going to be this pressure from parents to kids to find this, uh, whatever it is. And either, um, uh, and so either kids will kind of adapt and be, and, and conform and say, okay, I'll, I'll figure out something and I'll make that a hobby or however people want to frame it. It doesn't matter. But I'd say one of the important things that I have learned throughout my time in growing up is that I believe that your passion is part of your purpose. Like whatever you are passionate about, there's a reason why that drives you. And then that, and the other really crazy thing is you can get paid to do anything, right? Like you literally, like there's jugglers, there's juggler, professional jugglers, right? We were having a conversation right before this. There's people who do a lot of jobs yes. in a lot of weird things and they get paid to do it. So I never think that now, now, now my full belief is that if you have a passion, follow it, let, you know, let lead with passion and let money follow because you're going to be successful. So I need to I don't start know if that answers. Uh, it does. And I mean, I'm still figuring out what I want to do when I grow up and I'm 45 years old right now. But I, I what I recognize is I need to record the pre podcast stuff that goes on because there's so many laughs that happen during that time. And then I like, I'll, I'll throw it out there as like bonus material. You know, hey, you want to check out go. all the outtakes that happen because that's when all the, the funny shit really occurs is during that time. But it's interesting, Kurt, you mentioned climbing up on the school. So I was a principal for many years, more than a decade. Most of them were spent in middle school. Did have some experience as an elementary school principal as well. And I remember you as a kid. You weren't in my school, but I remember the kid that was the one who was just like, Kurt, what the fuck were you thinking? Like, how are you on top of the backboard right now? Or you know, why did you decide to do X, Y, and Z? Do you remember the conversations that you had with the teachers or the principals? Were they just, did you get in trouble? Did they yell at you? Or were they just like, what the hell's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually it became just, why would you do this? And then it became this like un, 
un, unappreciative acceptance and like and the consequences would just come without 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 emotion right and so like uh i remember i didn't want to use a like I, and i think this is so uh spoiler you know we do parkour as part of our thing right but we um and so in certain in certain areas i've always tried to find something that would be uh, a self-expression and in a way that's unique because i really enjoy um doing something for myself as well but you know so when i was a kid i remember having um instead of using a backpack i'd carry a briefcase and i would throw my briefcase to my at my friends as a form of playing tag and we would throw backpacks at each other and that would be our ball tag right it was a dumb thing to do. We were kids, right? But like, why? Like, but I would lead this like, hey, let's just throw big stuff at each other and we'll play tag this way. It was a bad idea. It was a dumb idea. And I remember impulsively just throwing one to my teacher and be like, you're it. That was not appreciated, right? So it was on one hand, it was an impulse control issue because I wanted to just play so bad that I didn't care what interactions I almost received off of that. But um, but then, you know, it was, yeah, so it was an impulse, it was an impulse control issue. But then it also was just this, like, I had a very strong desire and need to uh, challenge myself vertically, to challenge myself in coordination balance, to, you know, uh, to, to explore, to, to find uh, uh, just my curiosity for, for uh, climbing and growth and all that stuff was just always there. And I needed to, to challenge myself in that way. So... Yeah. We could do an episode just on the stupid shit that young men do just for shits and giggles. The stuff like that, like throwing briefcases and backpacks at one another. It sounds now like it's ridiculous, but at the time that was the funnest thing in the world. You see the you see things like, you know, you spin around with your head, you know, on the bat and you spin around a million times and you have to get up and like kick a kickball at someone that's near you. I, I remember in college doing stupid shit like that. We used to light something on fire and throw it at each other. Like really dumb, dangerous stuff, but it was a total blast at the time. My girlfriend asked me, "Why does my son do this? What is it?" Because He's a, he's a boy. He's a young man, and they, you do stupid shit. And you test your boundaries. You figure out the balance between danger and fun and you know total anarchy in a situation. Jordan Peterson talks about it. For kids, what you need to let kids do is do the dangerous things in a careful way. Let them experience that, like, what is it like to feel that adrenaline rush of doing something that's just outside of your comfort zone, but doing it in a careful way where you're not, I'm not just going to walk on a tightrope without ha having any experience, but let me go up and try to climb this tree or do something that's a little bit outside of my comfort zone, plus they're building capacity to go into fearful situations. 100%. Like, uh, the way that I usually talk about it is I have two sides of a bucket. I have two sides of a scale. And you have protection and you have preparation. And there are no other sides of the scale. It's everything that you protect them from, creating safety, creating, you know, the, the connection, like things that kids arguably very much and strongly humans need. Uh, everything you protect them from, you don't prepare them for, right? Oh, don't climb that tree. I don't want you to expose yourself to that risk. And then if you do that over and over, day in and day out, they don't get exposed to risk. If they don't get exposed to a measurable risk, that they can control, then their capacity for it doesn't grow. And what happens when they become 18 and they leave and they're supposed to manage risks on their own, right? How are they supposed to deal with, as they get into their older teenage years, how are they supposed to deal with sex? How are they supposed to deal with drugs? How are they supposed to deal with 
unwarranted social pressure that actually would get them into trouble or do you know not be beneficial to them right like without this risk and these social connections they're they're not they, you don't you don't have you you either have bigger more painful lessons later or are, or ultimately you have a less successful person right because they're afraid to make those mistakes or they're afraid to to put themselves out there so you mentioned taking risks and that you know teenage years and that's part of what kids need to go through in those experiences taking calculated risks when you were growing up we had an opportunity to, to talk about this about a month ago when you were growing up you took a pretty significant risk when when you think about it, i remember my younger sister tara running away from home where she told my mom i'm out of here i'm done with this shit. i'm running away she got to the end of the block you know she realized that she was hungry and she came home for lunch you decided to run away from home and you went to like mexico or something like tell, tell us a little bit about that story yeah so uh when i was 15 uh there was this girl that i was uh uh in love with you know and when you're 15 you're absolutely in love there's no no one can tell you otherwise no one else gets it no no one else understands <laughs> and uh and uh she was going on a trip to uh mexico uh with a church organization and during that time i grew up in a separated household uh, both had loving supportive parents but unfortunately, there was also conflict between the two of them always. And there wasn't a lot of being worked through for, for me personally as a kid. So what I had decided in my kid years was that, okay, well, you know, I guess family is less important because it's broken. And so I don't need one then, right? And so, the, the, and so basically what had happened from that was, I didn't mind if I left and I always, and so we, I went down to this uh, children's orphanage down in Mexico when I was 15, worked there for, I think two weeks and then just called home and said, I'm not coming home. And they were like, well, yes, you are. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> like, so I stayed down there. I worked down there. Um, I dug ditches for uh, um, an irrigation company. I got $50 a month uh, to live off of. And that was my claim to independence and my claim to I, I, I can I, I can control like I have a certain amount of control in my life. And it also was this um, fruition of this belief that I'm always going to be OK, even if things go terribly wrong, I still know I'm going to be OK. And it was this like, you know, I, and, and that's the kind of the weird thing is there wasn't a whole lot of fear. There was a lot of excitement around it. Because in part, I didn't really know what I was doing, right? To be fair, I was 15. Like, I didn't. Yep. So that was, uh, so that was a, a, you know, uh, my, my first day out the door. So how long did you spend in Mexico? About a year. Wow. Um, yeah. The authorities never came looking for you. There was never a search. You weren't on a milk carton anywhere. Your parents knew where you were. They're just like, okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, I got I got school packets actually delivered to me. So that way I could keep my education going, which was nice. But I think my parents at this point had also like I was had also kind of had this understanding and acceptance that like, if you tell him he's not, you can't do it or you tell him not to do it, it he will be the first one up that tree. That was and that was just a model that they had seen throughout because, you know, testing, pushing boundaries, that was a thing for me. Uh, this was, I think that at this point they were like, okay, look, he's going to do it. At least we have an address, at least, you know, like, 
I think that was important for them. Was there a Mexican family that cared for you? Were you this orphanage that you were with? Like, how, talk to me a little bit. I'm just I'm fascinated yeah. about this experience now. Yeah. So it was actually pretty wild. Like, there was a lot of really cool. Like, so it was this compound in the middle of the desert. Basically, it was like super, uh, super flat, super dry, um, super hot, as you can imagine. Uh, we would, you know, tar roofs or whatnot, you know, in the day. So it was super, it was, it was such a good experience. And I was in the middle of the desert there with, uh, families that were host families. So you'd have these moms and, you know, these dads that would just go out and work during the day and they come back, you know, early, early evening. And then you'd have moms that hang out with the kids and they have like this kitchen facility and they would all cook for this little mini village essentially. And so I went to live in this little village and uh, I would go out with the dads and I would work and I would come back and I'd play with the kids. And, you know, being with the kids there was just like, I, I, you know, I grew up in the church and being in mission work has always been something that, you know, we had just practiced. Um, But just having this kinship with coming home and playing with all of the kids was, I absolutely, it's been something my entire life that's been part of who I am. And, uh, so I would, I would teach them in the evening. They would, you know, we'd play soccer together. We'd play. And then, uh, um, and yeah, it was, it was not a safe, it was not a safe area at all. Like uh, it was in Juarez. It was not, it was a, you know, a border town where there's a lot of uh, cartel or, you know, a lot of, a lot of like violence. Um, I remember seeing my first body when I was there, uh, like having to like go and get water and like being like, oh that person is dead and like you just have to just just keep going and like you know it's it's a really weird feeling to to be in the desert alone when you're you know seeing a dead body and just being like oh my god this is crazy right like a lot of yeah yeah it was super fun absolutely (laughs) absolutely fascinating it's that is absolutely fascinating i think about one, I mean, the the record keeping there, the paper trail has to be pretty uh, skimpy because there's just people showing up and getting packets delivered from schools. And I also think about r- what a rite of passage as a young man going and doing something like that. I, after experiencing that, you're probably like, there is absolutely nothing in this world that I cannot accomplish. I was able to live on my own at 15 years old away from my family and deal with dead people in the desert and drug cartels as I'm like teaching kids soccer and working on tar roofs. And it's absolutely fascinating. The, the story, like when we, you know, when this gets released into a movie, Bradley Cooper has to play. You have to hear that all the time (laughs) that you, you look like Bradley Cooper. You definitely do. Oh, thank you. I uh, actually, I, I, in truth, I have to Google what Bradley Cooper looks like because I'm not a Hollywood knower. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know that guy. Yeah. Like, uh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, he's, he's a little older now, but you know, young, a young Bradley Cooper could play you in the story of this, of this experience here. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. You'll definitely get some, <laughs> some of the female listeners are definitely going to go check you out right now because he was like the sexiest man in America, like six years running or some shit like that. But, um, all right. So take, so now we're, we're dodging the cartel. There's dead bodies in, in Mexico. To get from that point after the year, what's the transition like back to the United States, back to your family? Talk to us a little bit about that journey back. Yeah. So it was, yeah. So I, it was my birthday and I was, and my um, my family came down, my um, my mom's side, they, my brother, my mom, my stepdad, they came down and uh, um, kind of like 
uh, bring me back. Um, you know, it was my birthday and they, you know, I was, I was like, yeah, let's, I want to come back. And we, uh, had like a little celebration down in Mexico. And then we, we, we went back to Michigan and things were definitely not the same, uh, in that I, you know, a lot like what you're saying, uh, there's a big rite of passage where I just knew that I could pretty like, I knew that I could do anything, but I didn't think I should. I thought that what I was supposed to do was find a real job, was to create some type of trade, um, you know, and I'm a passionate person. So if I don't, if I'm not actually passionate about it, I don't want to do it. Like I want to be able to, like, if my heart is not in it, I'll go through the motions and I'll try, but eventually I'm just going to shut down and, and, and abandon it because I, I don't actually care at the end of the day if I did it or didn't do it. Um, so for, for me, it was, um, uh, coming to coming back, I was like, okay, well, working with kids is always something that's mean, that meant a lot to me. You know, um, finishing high school, I worked, you know, um, teaching kids with swim lessons and all kinds of things, like anything in teaching capacity with kids. That's been like my constant passion point throughout my entire life is this very strong passion. As you know, like yeah, being an educator, uh, there's a, there's a very deep rewarding feeling of being able to to get a connection moment or to have someone you know to have this developed either you know uh moral awareness or or something that where you see the transformation and you're like that it's like it's just this beautiful rewarding experience i i, I loved that i thought that was fantastic and so i thought okay well if i'm going to serve people you know and i want to i really care about there's there's two things that i've always cared about i love teaching and i love to move and play and knowing that I, so I really looked into the movement and play side of things and I was looking into biology and physiology and I became a, a went to a, a tech school where I traded or where I learned to trade of being a paramedic. And so I worked there after, you know, finishing high school, uh, went into focusing on being a paramedic, did that, and then found someone who I was absolutely uh, head over heels for and love. Uh, we ran away. We we flew to Italy, uh, got married, and moved to Seattle. And uh, and then um, shortly after uh, moving to Seattle, I found that my credits did not transfer. My license did not transfer from Michigan to Seattle. So I was like, okay, well, what do I do, right? And uh, but with my um, experience, I think, and I strongly believe that because of my life experience and because of the, um, the trade that I had developed, um, I was actually able to, from the education and in my life experience, I was actually able to become uh, a special education teacher's assistant, uh, which was one of the, um, which, was, which was a fantastic job for me because then I got to work with kids, I got to work with someone who's really needed or who, who really needs support and structure. And I was able to um, continue working with kids, which was, which was awesome. I absolutely uh, was so blessed to have that transition. You mentioned, yeah. You mentioned the the lessons that kids are taught in school, especially the young men, where they're like, you know, get in line, quiet down, don't do this. So it, it's more putting kids into a box. And one of the things that listeners of the podcast know, I'm very critical of the education system, the way that it's structured right now. A lot of it is the movement piece. What kids at this age level, they need to move a lot. Any kid, they, they need to have that physical movement. And I believe learning happens when they're doing something in an experiential way. 
So if you had an opportunity to set up a school where movement is part of it, like what would the school day look like in your opinion? Like what would be the best way for us to maximize the learning potential and incorporating movement into the day for the kids? I'm going to kind of go backwards through a hierarchy of successful teaching structure. Sure. The most important thing you can do for a kid who, or someone, it doesn't matter even if it's a kid now, uh, is to give them real world experience. If you get real world experience, then you have the most amount of learning that happens, whether it's like, you know, whether it's something from my, from my past, like, Hey, I'm going to go and do this thing. Oh, wow. That was really hard. Right. I learn a lot of lessons. Um, I'm going to launch a product with a team. If you try to launch a product with a team and you've never done it before and you don't know anything, you're going to learn a lot about what it takes and the email campaigns and all of the, you know, the structure for the products and the calls and all, you know, there's a whole lot of structure there that you don't know about. And if you, so first of all, I would give kids opportunities for real world experiences, whether it be, you know, shadowing people with jobs or letting them actually create some type of job or, you know, can they, can they do some entrepreneurial businesses or whatever in the school where the kids get the profits, they decide what to do. Real world experience would be the number one thing because also that's also going to clue into their passion, right? Like if you want to do this thing and for a cause that you care about, like then a kid's going to be double inspired to actually do something versus like sit down and learn this math equation. Why? I don't know. Google will tell you to do later, but it's important because if in case you want a career in academia, you might need this if you want to be a math professor. Right? It's right. like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. You've got real world experience at the very, very top, right? Um, below that, you you want to give them some type of collaborative project work that they can do together, right? Whether it's maybe not a real world, like they're not out there and they're not actually selling a product or doing something, but maybe they're just like putting together a concept, right? Like, you know, you just asked me, what would my school look like? Giving kids a collaborative project of like, you guys get to design a school. Well, that's going to create a lot of social interactions. That's going to create like an open canvas for them to create something. And they're going to need skills to do it, right? It's not like they, it, they're going to need to learn how to use a computer, right? They're going to need, uh, okay, we're going to, part of this little system here is to put together a budget for your school, right? Well, now you need some math. Like there's tools that we can use in creating these projects that they get to decide. But also, you know, you get to actually call the Ninja Turtle principle, like everyone's different and unique, but together we're super strong, right? It's this uh, classic, uh, you know, boy TV, uh, Power Rangers, whatever it is. (laughs) My partner, Elka, she's extremely good at putting together spreadsheets and forecasting. One of the reasons why we're still here as a business, so I'm not some crazy artist running around trying to change the world without a structure. That's that's part of why we're together. Right? That's part of why we work together so well. So it's this concept that you know, like it takes it takes a crew. So I would do collaborative project work. I would do real world work, and then as far as movement goes, like actually moving, kids need to move in the morning, hundred percent. You do not have them get up and go sit down for eight hours. That's ridiculous. They move in the morning. They move throughout the day. If they have, if like, let's just take the school, the current school structure as it is, give them a movement session in the morning. Give them five minute movement breaks uh, throughout the day with the choice to get up and move or stand or, you know, sit where you want to. And and as long as you're not distracted or or distracting, um, create sensory integration hallways, which are like, 
here's shapes and things on the ground. You can go out. If you need to move, go in the hallway, run, run some laps, do, do some jumps in the hallway that are, you know, kind of paved out in the hallway and then, um, give them recess and then, you know, make sure that they move after, after school. Like, I mean, there's no, we have a childhood obesity uh, epidemic, right? And it's continuing to grow, right? That's not, <laughs> that's not for no reason, right? It's, it's, we, we did not design our systems for healthy children. Like that's, yeah, uh, unfortunately that's the truth. Building men of character, integrity, strength, compassion, and empathy through transformational mentoring, coaching, and motivational speaking is our mission here at Building Men. To work with me as a one-on-one life coach, you can find information in the show notes or you can visit our website at buildingmen.io where you can book a free 30-minute discovery call to help you become the strongest version of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Now, back to the show. I also remember, I think about all the times as a as a principal, as a teacher, where the kids in the hallway would... They were running down the hallway. It would be like, walk, walk, stop run-. Setting up even a situation where let, let them get from point A to point B, but get there in a – let them fucking run down the hallway. Really and as long as it's done in a, you know, a safe way, let's give opportunities for those movement breaks. It's funny. One of the only things that they mandate in education was the amount of physical education that you needed or during the course of, of like a week or something. And it was – on average, they needed like 150 minutes of physical education during the course of a week. So that's 30 minutes a day. And I remember as a principal, there were times that the superintendent would be like, well, you know, the, in the schedule it doesn't allow for it. The kids are only getting 90 minutes, but we're going to include this as physical education. We're going to include that as physical education. And it was trying to um, meet the mandate of that. And, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And it was, it was all bullshit. And it really bothered me. Even in middle school, like, middle schools need recess for kids that needs to be built in don't tell me that it's more important to have three extra minutes of algebra two for an eighth grader let them go outside and move and and they need that activity period so i totally agree with that more passing time in the hallway for kids shorter class periods listen if you can't get the point across to the kids in 40 minutes and you need 48 minutes you're doing something wrong Figure out a way to get it done in a more succinct way and then give kids an opportunity to move and experience things. That, that's where the learning truly happens. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Make it relevant so they care, right? And then, I mean, as you know, uh, it, uh, is that neural connections are not made during the, the, during the receiving process of information. You know, if you actually want them to retain the information, give them a break. Yep. Let them, you know, so... Who was your yep. Who was your Ninja Turtle of the four? So you had Donatello, Michelangelo, oh. Leonardo. Who was your guy? Uh, okay, so Raphael has always been my turtle. He was the I red. He Ra- was red. Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I have, uh, I have one right up there. I don't know if you can see it, like right up in that little uh, behind my Kong sign. Uh, my brother got an autographed picture of the guy who played him in the animatronic suit. Wow. It was pretty. It's pretty cool. Uh, but I'm, I, I realize that I am Michelangelo, right? As, I just have always aspired to be Raphael. That was my, you know, the tough guy that didn't need anybody who could just go off and do his own thing, right? Like, that was my, that was who I placated, but that's not who my spirit right. is. So yeah. Michelangelo had the yellow, Leonardo was yeah, blue, the- Donatello was purple. Donatello purple, Raphael red, Leonardo blue, 
you know, he had the katanas. And yeah. then uh, you had Michelangelo with the nunchucks, who was the orange headband. Orange, yeah. Okay. Donatello was no. my guy. He had the he had the staff. He had the big bow staff. What was right. his personality though? Was his he more like the intellectual one? Yeah. He was the he was the techie. He was the he was the uh the right brained. He was the one that was analytical. You know, you had the calm center of of Leonardo. You had the chaotic uh, nature of Michelangelo. And I can't believe I'm talking about the Ninja Turtles, but this is awesome. (laughs) What we do right now. (laughs) And and then you had, uh, you know, Raphael, who was just your muscle. He was the tough guy, right? So. And as you're talking, I mean, I jot down notes in the middle of of the guest speaking just to (laughs) to make sure that I remember a couple things. So I also wrote down the, the bad guys. It was Shredder. That's right. It was Bebop and Rocksteady. Yeah. And then uh-huh. Splinter was the old wise rat. Exactly. Wow. All right. That was like a little, <laughs> well a little journey back well for me. Uh, yeah. People uh-huh. wonder what I do for podcasts. That's what I do. I, I started writing down <laughs> that shit right now. So, so far, I've, uh, the notes that I've jotted down, I have Tarzan with a lightsaber, When Passion Meets Purpose, and the, all the Ninja Turtle characters, just so people are aware of how I do a podcast. That's exactly what I'm Get a glimpse into your process. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and it is more of the Donatello brain that I'm using right now. I'm, I'm pulling back the experience from my past. But it is such a cool thing that you, that you talk, to, uh, talk to us about, Kurt, about, you know, like when we truly re- reimagining how we can best serve kids in education and a lot of the people that i talk to now they're they're like should i pull my kids out of public education you know like what can i do as a homeschooling parent there is a lot to be said about the social interaction that happens in a school setting um that you can't it's tough to to replicate in a, in a homeschooling setting but there there are opportunities for movement across the board and so talk to us now about from your experience as this kid who was jumping up on the roof and throwing briefcases around you have the experience in mexico you come back you move out to seattle you know working with special education how does that turn into you starting the kong academy what what was the 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 transference there yeah so uh when i um so after moving out to seattle and you know doing the paramedic uh well actually restarting and doing special education um you know i had always this one thing was always true I teach kids. I love working with kids. Like this was a main thing. And the connection that I actually have with kids is remarkable. And I'm saying that with humility. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because it's a gift I have. And it is, it is a, it is part of my purpose here on the planet is to be able to work with kids and empower them. And that's something that has been true my entire life, whether it be for my neighbors when they were like, you know, six years younger than me. And I was, you know, like playing with them, uh, you know, doing puppet shows, like, you know, whatever it was, like just playing. I loved working with kids. I love playing with kids. That, that had remained constant. The special education position was just another way of me being able to fulfill this part of myself. And then I got really into parkour when I moved to Seattle. Now, it was this like eureka moment for me because for me, like this was, this is park, this is parkour, uh, think parkour, you know, 16 years ago, or, you know, like you didn't, people didn't know what this was, right. There was like one video of Russian climbing. It was what it was at back then. Right. And like, I remember seeing this and just falling, like, um, seeing this guy dive over a table and do this, um, crazy, what's called a dive cone dives over this table. And, uh, and I saw it in a commercial and I was like, wait a minute, those are two different people. This move is repeatable. I can find out what this is. So I did some research, found out that this is actually 
something called parkour. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to figure out how to do this. And so, you know, did some research, started practicing at home. There was no lessons. There was no anything. You created what it was at this point, right? It was, you know, like you have to just, it was basically just allowing myself the same thing I did when I was a kid by nature, climb up somewhere, jump something, jump to something. Can I, can I land on that monkey bar over there? Nope. I'm falling. Right. Like, uh, it's this, uh, you know, so we, I found this group called the Washington Parkour Association, got, had some good friends there, was able to, uh, they were putting together a gym. They were putting together an organization. I was like, I'd love to be involved. You could, this is the same super great. Um, so I started working with this organization. I eventually just basically led all of their kids programming. And from the years of doing this and developing this passion of like, I, now I have absolutely the skill set and freedom to be able to like, there's very few places when I'm walking around where I'm like, I could not get there. Right. Like it's uh, <laughs> like, I mean, like, I don't know. I can, do, I can't like, there's very few places I can't right. go to. And so it's like, Oh, great. I, yeah. There's a, <laughs> Like my, I remember my brother, he's kind of a shut in and he was like, no, I don't want to talk to anybody today. I just climbed up four stories along his, uh, 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 apartment complex, just up the balconies and then just like opened up his slider and just like went inside and like made myself some coffee and like, and, and, and uh, he's like, how'd you get in here? And I was like, no, don't worry about it. Uh, but I'm happy to see you. Right. You have this ability that you eventually cultivate and that happens over time with progression and responsible decision-making. You don't climb up four stories if you don't even know how to fall or how to balance or how to do your climb ups or all these things that are pieced together, plus fear management, all this other stuff. I know it's kind of a tangent, but you know, uh, it's real. And it's this concept that um, in creating this, uh, um, in, in the creation of Kong, what was leading up to this creation of Kong was finding this pursuit of, or finding this passion of parkour. And then from doing this passion and loving to teach kids, what I really got to do was merge those two things together because I have always worked with kids. I've always loved moving and teaching kids. I've, and I've always loved to play and move. When I was able to transfer the skill set of teaching kids into this play and movement, what I was really able to do was tap into something much more deeper, which was Today, I'm going to teach you about courage. Today, I'm going to teach you about how to make a responsible decision. Um, today, we're going to talk about what it means to support each other when we're scared, right? Like, and these are three-year-olds. These are five-year-olds. And I have like countless testimonials of parents that have gone through that program that were able to you know, say, like, my kid learned about courage and bravery in a very special way today that meant something, right? Like it wasn't because, and the whole part of this is going back to what we talked about, real world experience. If you give a kid an opportunity to say, hey, we're going to climb up, you know, six feet, which six feet to a six-year-old is really high when you're standing on top of something six feet tall. And to say, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to balance across this beam to the other side, right? Like now my heart's, you know, uh, fluttering and I'm getting anxious. My palms are sweaty and I don't, what if I don't make it right? Like, cause this is one of the things that most adults and educators and parents don't really understand is that kids have self-preservation. They're not, they're not complete idiots that want it, that are going to get killed, kill themselves, you know, just because like, they're not going to like, we're, we are born with the fear of falling, right? That's just a natural fear. Like, uh, like babies will crawl up to an edge and stop and they won't continue. 
right? If they perceive that it is a, a an angle that's graded more than they can turn around and slide down on on their bellies, they'll they'll just stop. They won't they won't go, right? So we have this innate uh, sense of what we can and can't do. And so when you present a kid with the opportunity to choose, and you give them a supportive and structure and environment where they can be safe and they have the opportunity to make those decisions, mm-hmm. um, then you have a lot of growth because, you know, it's real. So do you think yeah. the, the fear piece of it is more initially with the kids or with the parents? Um, it's this, it, it, it's, I wouldn't say it's a form of, of which one comes first. It's, it's, it's a difference. It's, it's a slightly different fear. Um, one kid will like, so you'll have a kid step up to a challenge and either, you know, you get all kinds of profiles, you get daredevils, you get really cautious kids, you get kids that, you know, want to show off for their friend, but they're really actually scared. They don't know how to say how they feel. And then we get, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of different profiles of people when they go up to this challenge. Um, but for kids, they, they have this innate thought of like, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to die. Right. Because gravity, like they don't need to. Like I can tell you how good I am at jumping, but then gravity doesn't care how boastful I was, <laughs> right. right? So, uh, so the the kid feels their own individual fear and the social fear of what if I fail in the group, and the parents have a fear of my baby, right? Like you know, it's the when they jump and the parents go, right? Like they just kind of get this like you know, it, think of think of a, a nervous parent watching a kid climb the tree. Everything they do is like, oh, what would. Oh, Yep. You know, like it's this like, uh, whereas, you know, for the kid, they're they're OK or, you know, they're 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 nervous and they don't really tend to push themselves past what they're capable of. And through that, through that play, they're able to find what they're capable of. So it's a it's a it's a slightly, you know, it comes from both sides, but it really depends on 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 the emotional management of the individuals. So you have your group is, is located in Seattle and you have in-person stuff that you're doing in that geographical area, but then you also have online things for parents as well. So talk to us a little bit about both. Yeah. So we have an in-person uh, program in Seattle where we get to work with kids. Um, all of our programs are built off of social and emotional learning. Um, social emotional development is, um, in my opinion, one of the most, is the most important skill that you can eventually have because it basically teaches you how to manage yourself, whether it be by self-awareness and self-control. And then, it, but it also teaches you how to deal with others, right? Like, how do I form a relation? How do I, how do I create uh, strong relationship skills and the social awareness around like, you know, how are people feeling? What do people need, right? Like if I'm, if I'm noticing that you're kind of rolling your eyes when I'm talking or, or something like that to affect, I'll be like, oh, maybe I've said something. Like, so that social awareness of being able to you know, understand, which you, which you totally get. But then also the last piece is responsible decision-making, right? How do you, what's actually the process for making responsible decisions? And do kids know it, right? And because you could save a lot of heartache by, by just giving them a couple of simple, simple outlines and say, okay, now use these tools. That, so our in-person program takes kids physically, you know, in person where we get to work through those concepts, but we work through those concepts through parkour skills and play. So, you know, when we are practicing making responsible decisions, they get to create something, they get to make something, they get to test it, they get to, you know, um, we get to practice a skill and then they get to go and apply the skill. And when they apply the skill, 
remember, look out for these three things. And I want to make sure that you guys are staying safe. So check for things that are wobbly or slippery or things you could crash into and make sure that you always test your things first, right? Giving them very clear outlines gives them that experience where they can, where, or that, that opportunity that opens up to them so they can actually practice something that creates a meaningful experience where their character is developed and, and we can grow from there. So that's our in-person program, which I'm super proud of uh, all of the team that, that, that facilitates our in-person program. But you also asked about our online stuff. We do the same thing for people at home because like what you said, homeschoolers, there's not as much opportunity for socialization. They have more opportunity for movement, but a lot of kids are on screens. And so what we've done is create during the COVID, we uh, created our online program where kids you know, have an opportunity for indoor recess where they can learn the skills of social emotional moment, parkour progress, but then also they get to play all of these games, they get to move, they have challenges. And then it just ultimately all leads into, in each of our lessons, some type of social emotional development, because that's the thing that really matters. So yesterday I taught a virtual class where we talked about resistant, or, um, resilience and <laughs> persistence. Yeah, so we were talking about resilience and persistence. I almost couldn't remember the word for a second. <laughs> but we, uh, yeah, so we were talking about resilience and persistence. And I was like, okay, guys, so go upside down, kick upside, kick upside down into a handstand. Now hold it. Now, the feeling of you wanting to uh, come down and you having to push through it, that's persistence. And then they would fall down. And I'm like, when you fall down, how fast do you get back up? That's resilience, right? So, so and it's just like, it's, it's, a very, it's very quick. It's very simple. But I don't need to explain things, right? It's, it's something that is like, they can explain to me in their own words what yep. that is afterwards. Because they feel, they feel it. And when you feel it, you know it, right? That's such so. an important piece. I, I absolutely love that, the resilience and persistence. But having kids, you could say, you know, the idea of perseverance, the idea of resiliency, but understanding that through an experiential thing, especially a physical experience that they have learning those two lessons, it's brilliant. Um, I also like that you called it the COVID. I, yeah. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I, we got that, that COVID, the COVID thing. The COVID, the COVID yeah. thing. I, uh, I'm going gonna, to refer to it as the COVID from now on. I'll give you credit when I do <laughs> moving forward. The last question I, I love to ask um, on the podcast, Kurt, is so people listening to Building Men right now, driving their car, they're listening on a walk or whatever, they they stop the podcast, they hit pause. What's one thing that someone listening right now can do right away that will make an impact in their life? For That's a good question. It could be anything. Um, it's like so, well, One guy said, just say no to people. Say no to something that you don't want to do. One guy says, write down your personal mission statement. One guy says, go for a walk and breathe out of your nose. It could be anything at all, and I love to see where people take this because I've gotten, I've asked the question 50 times and I haven't got a repeat answer because it's based on your experience, a piece of advice that you would give that someone could just, I, I'm going to decide to do this tomorrow and it's going to make a big impact in my life. I think one of the things that people could do is place their hands on their heart and breathe into it for two minutes. If you pause and you breathe into your heart, you're going to breathe into more uh, collective understanding of yourself than you really allow yourself to admit more throughout the day than most people do. If you breathe from your heart and you take, you give a moment and you get out of your head and you get into how it feels to be you, right? Like people call it all kinds of things. You know, what does your gut tell you? What is the, 
you know, like just follow your heart, right? There's, we have all these expressions that are, that have more wisdom in them than we ever really like to admit. And so if you put your hands on your heart and you just breathe for, for two minutes, you're going to actually sync up the neural connections between your head and heart. And you're going to be able to find your purpose much easier, much faster without effort. And from there, all things are different, right? Like you could think, oh, but how, do, you know, uh, but how am I supposed to do this? And, you know, it, should I be doing this? And then immediately you're not really feeling into your purpose, into your why, into all these other things that, you know, are really you, you being here for. Instead, you're just going to go into your analytical side and you're going to go, should I, I'm not sure right. what about, and it's like, yeah, but what, what, what about you? Like, where does, what, what does this thing tell you? Right. So close your eyes, put your hands on your heart, breathe into it for two minutes. Love it. First time I've heard that one. Keep the streak continues. Kurt, tell, uh, tell the audience where we can find you. How can we get in touch with you and, and follow along with what you're doing? Yeah. So, uh, we have a company called Kong Academy, K O N G Academy. Uh, that's .org. We would love to be able to support kids and parents, especially virtually. Unless you're in the Seattle area, we'd love to have you over for our classes or camps. But virtually, we have our Thriving Kids Parenting class that uh, we have, you know, 20 plus years of, of childhood education experience that we want to give to parents. If any parent is out there that is having struggles with their kids, whether it be through connection or they feel like their uh, their kids are running wild or they're not able to establish order or whatever it is in their home. Uh, we really encourage people to come and, and check out our program called Thriving Kids Parenting. And that has been very successful for a lot of families. And that's something that I, if I, if I was able to help your listeners in any capacity, I think that, you know, knowing that they're nationwide and you guys are over on the east side and I want to make sure that I'm able to help someone, um, I would say, uh, look up our thriving kids parenting course. And, uh, um, I'd be very happy to help serve you guys there. Or if you have a kid that you're at home and you're a homeschooler or, or whatnot, and you want your kid to move and play and actually enjoy it, then, um, I would have them join our online program for kids, which is our con kids worldwide. And, uh, we, and all of those can be found, um, you know, through our website or, uh, in, so we'd love to have you. We'd love to, we'd love to, uh, support your child's development and your, your parenting journey so absolutely yeah. love that i love what you're doing love the mission it's such a needed thing right now in the world truly blessed to have connected with you for the building men audience find us on instagram building.men buildingmencoach at gmail.com is our email address our website is buildingmen.io close your eyes put your hand in your heart take a couple deep breaths really feel into it Thank you, Kurt Jordan from Kong Academy for being on the podcast. Go a step further than you thought you can go. We'll see you next time on Building Men.